The original idea everybody remembers was 12 elite clubs and very much a closed shop, which was one of the big complaints about it. He's saying we're now going to start from a blank slate and the format is not going to be an obstacle and uh, there there will be an open format and, and permanent membership will be off the table, uh, for instance. So these are the kind of things he's he's saying in the, in the hope of placating people. And uh, like I said, it's Juve and Madrid and Barcelona who are still clinging to this dream. That's the backdrop here. Yes, there is another uh, interesting and important uh, background thing here, which is the fact that there's also been a document has been circulated amongst uh, clubs in uh, continental Europe um, and which made a big deal about the financial power of the Premier League clubs, the English Premier League clubs. And of course, when you think about the first version of the Super League, English clubs were, I wouldn't say the forefront of it, but they were a very important part of it. In as much it was impossible to think of a Super League without, you know, Manchester United, City, Liverpool, Arsenal, Tottenham, Terry, sorry, I'm forgetting, Chelsea, uh, and, and perhaps Newcastle United, who knows. Um, this time, uh, the document that has been circulated amongst um, continental clubs uh, makes a point of singling out English clubs as, are being, as being clubs who have been benefiting from almost unnatural financial backing, be it uh, from oligarchs. I mean, that dates a little bit. That was in the past. Um, Nation states, yes, fine. Uh, Or investment funds. And the idea is that the Super League, the new relaunched Super League, uh, would in a way address the imbalance that is being created by that. The fact that, for example, and it it is in that document as well, um, which uh, was... uh, uh, commented upon by Martin Ziegler of the Times in particular today. Mm. Um, and where, where they say, yeah, Nottingham Forest promoted club, had a net spend, 
which was bigger than the net spend of Serie A, La Liga, Bundesliga and Liga combined. So you can see the kind of people that this project is aimed at, very much so. Uh, but the one thing really that struck me the most was another thing that Mr. Eichhardt um, said, uh, is that when he uh, when he, he said that this league, Super League could be going, starting in 24-25. Yeah. Well, my first thought was, hello, 24-25, that's when the new cycle of UEFA Champions League starts with the new Swiss system. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's basically testing the water. And uh, they have written to UEFA, and the response from UEFA hasn't been a, could you please, you know, go away, disappear. Uh, The response has been UEFA, and I'm quoting from from this response, is always open to constructive dialogue. So it's fairly obvious that the people behind this new project are going to talk to UEFA. And this, of course, has got to be put in the context of a legal action which is ongoing between the so-called Super League and UEFA, uh, which is to be heard at the European Court of Justice on 15 December, and we're expecting a decision in February or March 2023. Mm -hmm. So we have got this conflictual situation at the same time an effort of trying to reach out. As at the same time, uh, uh, an initiative which looks like we don't want to reach out, we want to create our own thing. It's all a bit confusing, but basically what it amounts to is that those clubs, um, which are most of them in a perilous financial situation, are trying to find a modus operandi with UEFA, which would enable them to carry on as usual, being top of the tree. That's the only thing they're interested in. And whether it's going to be a Super League or something different, almost is immaterial. Uh, To be honest myself, I don't think there's going to be any Super League. Mm. I think that there might be more changes brought to the uh, UEFA Champions League, which has already been changed in such a way that it is in all but name a Super League, and uh, that it is part, uh, we, the media, and we, the fans, uh, in a way, are there to help as echo chambers in those negotiations. Uh, I'm sorry if I sound very cynical about it, but I am. No, that's fine. And so do you think uh, Florentino Perez and and his friends at Juventus and Barcelona... They understand that a European Super League, as they might dream it, will be very, very difficult to get off the ground, but they're just using the threat of it to leverage UEFA for as much as they can. Is that what's going on here then? Uh, In part, I would think that the situation of all three clubs is is extremely different. I mean, Barcelona is a basket case, as we know, Mm. uh, economically speaking. Juventus are in a very, very bad place in terms of um, results on the pitch. And also financial results have been terrible. Real Madrid are not in that kind of position at all. Uh, one thing which is quite amusing is that when uh, this uh, internal Super League document, which is you know pointing the finger at English clubs dominating absolutely everything, yeah. well, only two English clubs have, have won the Champions League in the past two, uh, 10 years, uh, Liverpool and Chelsea, and that's that. Uh, in, in the same decade, Real Madrid have won it five times, <laughs> including last year. Mm. So yeah, there's a lot of, you know, it, the, the situation of all these clubs is different. This is an alliance of people who have a, a, a common ambition, a common goal rather, um, with apologies to Juan Mata for this, uh, but certainly do not have a common um, appraisal of the game or of their own their own situations are wildly different. Real Madrid are not in for the same reason as Barcelona, as Juventus, and as the people they might uh, take along in their you know jolly chariot. Mm. Um, 
if anyone, to be honest. I think it's, as per usual, it's um, a power struggle between Europe's most powerful clubs and UEFA, yes. who own, you know, the biggest continental competition. Uh, I, I should add to that that not all the points that the people from the Super League camp are making are invalid. Some of them are actually quite interesting. I mean, it's a fact that UEFA is both a competition organizer and um, uh, it's fulfilling all these roles at the same time. It's not a governing body as such, but it defines the rules of the competition. So you could think, okay, there's a case to be defended here that UEFA perhaps wields too much power in organizing competitions in which Europe's top clubs are taking part. But that's only something that they're using as a weapon. They don't have the good of the game, whatever it means these days, in mind at all. They have their own interests. And their own interest at the moment is they can see that there is this new phase coming, starting from 2024-25, where we have this new uh, Swiss system uh, being installed. And I think they simply want to have as much purchase on that as possible. Mm. And uh, I suppose, as you referenced, one of the most interesting aspects of the last 24 hours is this England versus continental Europe divide. So that dossier that you mentioned, which The Times and Martin Ziegler has seen, it says things like the English top flight is, quote, outgunning all continental leagues. The Champions League is, quote, increasingly dominated by English clubs who are, quote, backed by hedge funds, public investment funds, shakes and oligarchs. So, you know, these guys were best friends and and heading off on a new venture together in April 2021. And now it's like, well, we have to start the European Super League because these bloody English clubs are ruining football. (laughs) Yes, well, you're trying to, you know, to find an ally, fire come an enemy. Mm. What can I say? Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would imagine that uh, if uh, GW Henry or uh, uh, Mr. Bully uh, see this document, and they will have seen by now, I don't think they're necessarily that very well inclined towards Florentino Perez and and Barca and and, and Juve. And uh, yes, uh, they, they they I think they also saw that the first clubs to uh, dissociate themselves from the Super League project because of the reaction of the fans and also because perhaps they were uh, they had a more ambiguous attitude towards it uh, were the English clubs who were the first to jump off Yeah, the first club I believe was Manchester City uh, the second was Chelsea and then the other English club said you know what actually no that's not a good idea we apologise to the fans and so forth so we can't do business with those people we need people who would be willing to go you know as Florentino Perez um, would do uh, to go head on and and defy the supreme authority in European mm. football, which is UEFA, mm. with by the way uh, the support in the back. We should never forget about that because it's something which is unsaid. But the okay, I'm saying it. That's the way I read it. But the yeah. support of FIFA and Gianni Infantino. Okay, did that against a, UEFA? A whole other layer to this thing. Well, we'll mm. see how it goes. I mean, um, I suspect. It'll be a slow plot this time as, as opposed to a big explosion in 24 or 48 hours. Uh, before you go, it's been an odd uh, couple of days in English football. We had what honestly I thought was an innocuous-ish Jurgen Klopp press conference on Friday, which yep. seems to have uh, drawn a very stern response from Man City to the point where the briefings were that you know Klopp was borderline xenophobic and he's talking about taking legal action on that front now. Jesus. And then, uh, yeah, we had... 
Well, I don't know to what extent Eddie Howe felt insulted, but certainly when he was asked about Klopp's behaviour on the sideline, I mean, David Moyes made the point, well, look, we all behave like that sometimes, etc. But Eddie Howe went for the old, well, look, think of the children and I try not to behave like that uh, routine. Uh, so I would think uh, Pep and, and Howe, are, have they been insulted here by Klopp? Did, like, are they, are they, well, he's he's diminished our like achievement or, or what they is They don't this? like the truth being yeah. said. They don't like their clubs, don't like the truth being said. Um, they're both. I, I wish we could pre-record this because, to be honest, I'm I'm going to shut up at this point because what I think about these two men in particular, I don't think should be said on radio. My opinion of them is very, very low. Mm. Eddie Howe, I think his utterances were totally unacceptable, demonstrably false. He also had the cheek to say that uh, Newcastle United spending. Uh, over the last year was in sync with the rest of the Premier League when Newcastle United has spent £240 million net net in a single calendar year, which is more than anybody else. And he has the cheek to say that. And then he is the servant of a dictatorship. Whether he likes it or not, whether he realises it or not, he's a man who is put in front of the cameras and in front of a team and in a dressing room, supporting a project which is driven by a dictatorship and a murderous dictatorship. And he's not responsible directly for the what the Saudi regime is doing. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that at least show a little bit of, uh, I don't know, reserve. Um, it was quite. It was. It, it was quite something. It's to, unbelievable. To, to, it's, it's to jump on the moral high ground. To jump on the moral high ground over something. I. I. I, so I have no words. I have no words for it. And I think almost every single football fan I've been talking about, talking to, and um, including some Newcastle United supporters, find it very difficult to to swallow that. I don't think it would be a problem if Eddie Howard came in front of the cameras and said, we've got loads of money, we're spending it as we see fit and we respect FFP. I would say, yes, fine. That's absolutely right. You've got, do what you want. You know, we can have our opinion. That's absolutely fair. Um, and don't start giving lessons of ethics to Jürgen Klopp about how to behave as a manager. I mean, I'm I'm sorry. I I, I uh, to be honest, I, I I want to shut up here because I am so incensed by that, and I think many many people are incensed by that. At least have the decency to shut up at times. We know who pays your players. We know who pays your salary. We are fully aware of what kind of regime we're talking about. You are owned by a nation state. This is not the case for Jurgen Klopp. Jurgen Klopp went overboard did things that he shouldn't have done, will be punished, apologized, absolutely fine. Don't take the moral high ground because you really, you know, you're a midget compared to this man. Apologies. I mean, these are strong words, but the words that I have forming in my mind are much, much stronger than that.